Hey guys, it is Thursday, January 2nd, 2020, and you're listening to an episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. Happy New Year! Uh, as always, I'm your host, Brad Eisleck, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. On today's episode, we're going to talk about uh, CES. Fiat Chrysler has a bunch of uh, electrified vehicles that they're showing off uh, in just a few short days when the show kicks off out in Las Vegas. Uh, there are some interesting details to be pulled from some of those announcements. Uh, Mitsubishi, speaking of plug-in hybrid electric vehicles, Mitsubishi's got two that they wanted to talk about, uh, one of which I think is a very, very good idea. And then last up, I wanted to touch a little bit on some of the new cars and trucks that are starting to pop up for the 2020 model year around West Michigan. There's a very good chance that they're going to be popping up near you already or will be in the very short future. Uh, so some thoughts on some of those different vehicles. But hey, uh, if you're into this show, if you enjoy what you're listening to, uh, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Uh, you can do that on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, so much more. I really appreciate it if you guys are subscribing. Uh, if you hear something you like, you hear something that uh, you think someone else might like, if you could share, that would be wonderful. And if you're on a platform that takes ratings, uh, that's also greatly appreciated because it helps us get seen by other people. Uh, so with all that in mind, guys, let's get on to the show. Well, this week, CES kicks off out in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, and uh, it's kind of the unofficial start to uh, the new car season in 2020. Uh, normally, CES would be butted right up against the North American International Auto Show, which was normally in Detroit in January. That has now been kicked back to June. So it's going to be interesting to see what ends up happening. Uh, there were a lot of news stories uh, just a few short weeks ago about how different car companies are pulling out of CES. Uh, they feel like it's not quite as important of a show as what it was, I don't know, two years ago. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, at the very least, we know what's coming from Fiat Chrysler at CES. Uh, today... Fiat Chrysler announced uh, one major concept and two pre-production vehicles that'll be on hand and maybe one more in addition to that. So uh, we'll touch on the concept first. The first concept vehicle is the Chrysler Airflow concept. And if you've ever heard the Chrysler Airflow name before, uh, you'll remember that back in the late 1930s, early 40s, uh, Chrysler used to produce a car called the Airflow that was a super aerodynamic uh, family sedan. Uh, it really had that kind of space age, art deco, uh, bit of panache that a lot of American cars had before the World War II. And uh, this is going to kind of pay an homage to that in a roundabout way. Uh, this new Airflow concept is, of course, a battery electric vehicle with very swoopy body lines. Um, but the general idea here um, being submitted by this concept, at least in the drawings that we're seeing so far, is that it looks like Chrysler wants to make uh, something very similar to what we're seeing a lot of car companies want to make, which is uh, a Tesla Model Y competitor, a Mustang Mach-E competitor, uh, something that's going to be like a midsize maybe not even midsize, barely a midsize, almost like a compact crossover uh, with some sporty potential, but really a focus on energy efficiency, uh, overall, you know, some performance, but really just being a comfortable vehicle for a family of four to be able to carry things and be able to take a charge well north of 200 miles an hour. 
Now, the big question is whether or not Chrysler will ever be able to build it. Uh, Chrysler has been very, uh, let's say, behind the curve when it comes to green technology. Um, we'll talk about some of the first of the green cars that they're going to have uh, later this year uh, in just a moment. But uh, it's been pretty well known that Chrysler has doubled down on SUVs and pickup trucks. The Jeep brand and the Ram brand are the major money-making entities within Fiat Chrysler outside of, well, Ferrari. And uh, they've been basically powering the entire company for the last three years. Uh, Sergio Marchionne, before he passed away, made that decision to focus on tr trucks and crossovers, and it paid off big time uh, as fuel prices continued to collapse and the demand for people out in the market uh, continued to trend towards crossovers and SUVs. Uh, that being said, uh, climate change is real. Uh, the market demands are changing again towards electric and uh, hybridized vehicles. And uh, the airflow concept is kind of, I think, the first sign that maybe someone at Chrysler is thinking about this. Uh, I would be willing to bet to some extent this vehicle will go into production in the next two to three years. Um, there always seems to be that two-year window on electric vehicles, uh, no matter who's making them. Uh, the other main thing to kind of keep in mind here is that Chrysler, with their deal with Peugeot, uh, PSA, uh, they have basically eliminated... Uh, development of all small cars in their lineup. There will be, as of right now, no successor to the Fiat 500, to, well, the Dodge Dart, the Chrysler 200, so many vehicles. Uh, so this vehicle, probably a fairly good chance it would ride on some kind of Peugeot platform. Uh, Peugeot does have an electrified platform that is under the current E208 and the Opel Corsa, uh, which can be flex-sized up to things as large as, I think, the 3008 SUV or the 5008 SUV uses the same basic architecture. So there's a good chance that whatever the larger version of this will be uh, will potentially end up becoming a Chrysler. And this is, you know, at least in terms of the overall styling, it's got very Peugeot-like headlights, and it makes me go, hmm, maybe we're going to end up seeing a redressed uh, 3008 uh, or E2008. I, I don't remember which one is coming out first uh, as a Chrysler product, so I guess we'll have to stay tuned and see what happens there. Now, speaking of two, and actually technically three, vehicles uh, that are going to be coming out sooner than later uh, with some hybridization, some electrified technology, uh, Chrysler announced today that Jeep will be rolling out a line of electrified vehicles that are all going to be tagged with the uh, name uh, 4XE, that would be 4 by electric. Um, these vehicles are going to be uh, hybrids, plug-in plug -in hybrids, and potentially later on uh, all electric vehicles. Uh, the first two to launch in the United States will be electrified plug-in versions of the Jeep Renegade and the Jeep Compass. Uh, both of those vehicles share a platform that dates all the way back to a very old Alfa Romeo, but even the Dodge Dart rode on the same platform. Uh, they're going to be using a combination of a 1.3 liter turbocharged inline four. Uh, I don't remember how big the battery pack is, uh, but basically it's set up in a similar way to how Toyota does their four-wheel drive uh, hybrids. Uh, so it's going to have uh, the gas engine up front, primarily powering the front wheels, and when slip is detected, it will be able to send uh, electrons to the back axle where there is an electric motor mounted uh, that will engage and give you some four-wheel drive capability. Now, the big question is, at least with Jeeps, is this going to be an off-road capable machine? More than likely, yes. 
the second question is how off-road capable are they going to be? I think that's a giant question mark that probably is a little bit more to the, uh, let's say, the left-hand, more street-wise uh, capability end of things. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, it's going to be a good bit, probably more rugged uh, than a comparable uh, RAV4 hybrid or the new CRV hybrid. Now, the interesting thing is going to be also where they go on price. Uh, the Renegade is currently the cheapest Jeep in the lineup. The Compass is only slightly more expensive for only a very minuscule amount of more room. That being said, I prefer the Compass out of the two. Uh, it's a little more civilized, uh, so on and so forth. But anyway, that's a sideways tangent. Uh, if this is only a couple thousand dollars more, um, this could be a big savings depending on how you drive. Uh, just like the Chrysler Pacifica uh, hybrid, uh, which will drive up to, I think it's like 30, 20 some odd, 30 some odd miles. I can't remember what the exact number is off the top of my head. Uh, these Jeeps will do the same kind of thing. So you'll be able to plug them in at home or in at work, and these Jeeps apparently are going to go at least 30 miles on a single charge, which for most Americans will cover your at least one-way commute. Um, but the thought process is if you're able to charge at work, uh, you might end up using gas only once in a while, and that could be a very uh, advantageous proposition to a lot of people. I know when we had our 2015 Jeep Renegade, uh, we were lucky to average more than 24 miles per gallon with that Jeep, which was, all things considered, uh, its size, the engine that's in it, the platform it's on, uh, how we were driving it, uh, not very good, I would argue. And uh, doing this kind of plug-in hybrid system, I think, is a step in the right direction. So uh, we will see where Jeep goes with those two. Uh, but the other big interesting one that they're apparently going to be bringing to CES, potentially, is the hybrid Jeep Wrangler. Uh, this new Jeep Wrangler is going to basically be taking the Chrysler Pacifica's uh, plug-in hybrid electric system and somehow routing that power through Dana 44 axles. I don't know if they're Dana 44s. Anyway, the solid front and rear axles that Jeeps are known to have, and uh, it's going to be a very tough off-roader that just happens to have a, a hybrid system attached to it. Now, with the Chrysler Pacifica, the bad thing about it is, is that you can't select to, say, save the battery. And by that I mean, you know, I'm thinking... Uh, here in Michigan, you know, you, you, uh, you're driving around town here in Grand Rapids, uh, you might want to use the electric drive, but when you get on the highway where it's least efficient to do that, um, some cars offer ability where you can switch to the gasoline motor and you basically keep the hybrid or the electric battery at a certain charge so that when you get back off the highway, let's say in Chicago, you could then drive the vehicle around uh, in an emissions-free way. Uh, using that electric battery to conserve as much gas as possible because you're going to be getting almost zero miles per gallon in most parts of Chicago. Um, nevertheless, uh, this Jeep, it's, it's an interesting kind of thought exercise, I guess, for me, where you think about it in the sense that you're going to need as much power as possible from zero RPM to go off-roading, and the best way to do that is in an electric power plant. But if you have a Jeep, you have to be able to drive to get to that spot. So this makes me wonder if they're going to be rolling out the updated uh, programming, I guess, for the battery and for the hybrid system in that regard. Uh, they seem to be pretty sure that this is going to have about a 260 to 300 horsepower output, just like the Pacifica, the same 3.6 liter V6, uh, the same, you know, probably battery size mounted somewhere in the back of the vehicle. Uh, it's going to be interesting. 
And it's going to be interesting to see if people buy into this. Because in the end, electric power is really good off-road. There's all the torque from zero RPM. You're going to be able to get over any, almost anything without having to do much effort. The hard part is, is, you know, the reliability battery, how long the charge lasts. I don't know. It's, it's a cool idea, and I'm interested to see what an electrified Wrangler looks like. Now, the big overarching story to kind of pull out of all of this besides these tangible concepts and prototypes is that Chrysler is saying they're going to have more than 20 electrified vehicles in their lineup by 2022. Now, when I say Chrysler, Fiat Chrysler, I mean uh, that's going to include Maserati, Alfa Romeo, uh, Jeep, uh, Chrysler, Dodge, so on and so forth. Uh, they've got a lot of work to do to get into the green end of things, uh, not just here in the U.S., but also in Europe. Uh, as we've talked about on the show, they buy tax credits from uh, Tesla, who offsets their emissions, and Fiat Chrysler is one of the highest emissions companies in all of Europe, uh, so they have to rely on Tesla, who has basically zero emissions, uh, to make that kind of balance out. So they've got their work cut out to get these things reset. Uh, but all in all, Pretty positive on things. And one last little bit, at least on the Fiat Chrysler news from CES. Apparently they're bringing the Fiat, I'm going to pronounce the name wrong, it's the it's the 500 replacement that we talked about back at the Geneva Auto Show, the Cinquecento. I, I, I don't remember what the name of it is off the top of my head. Nevertheless, it's a small car. It's like a compact car size thing that has the expandable uh, battery platform. Uh, basically with this car, you get a set... Uh, electric motor. Um, I think they said it was like a 30 or 35 kilowatt hour electric motor. Uh, a pretty powerful one. It makes like 200 horsepower. It's about the standard for most electric motors these days. Uh, but then you would choose what size of batteries that you want inside the car. So maybe the person who buys the car initially, you know, they, they don't have to commute very far. They live in the city. They buy the single row batteries. They get maybe 75 to 80 miles on a single charge. And then maybe you buy it used three years later and you're like, dude, I need to commute really far. You could buy another two banks of batteries uh, and expand the overall capability of the car. It's a really novel idea and it's something that I'm hoping more car companies are looking into. As batteries continue to get more efficient and smaller and smaller in size, uh, the likelihood that we're going to be able to expand battery packs in these cars seems to be a pretty likely scenario. And the other novel idea that this car had is that there would be a quote-unquote uh, electric catch can. Um, basically, this would be a battery that's mounted under the rear passenger seat, and you would be able to, say, take it into work or into a restaurant or something and plug it in, and it would provide like 10 to 20 miles of total range uh, in a battery pack that's maybe 100 and some odd pounds. So you could easily carry it yourself, you know, uh, into into a place. Maybe 100 pounds is a little heavy for some folks, but more and more and overall, it, it's just a novel concept, and it's interesting that they brought it to CES because. Again, Fiat is not going to be developing any new small car technology until this Peugeot deal is uh, set in stone. So uh, they're really riding on the hopes that this is going to happen uh, sometime in the near future because uh, Peugeot is way ahead of the curve. Fiat is way behind. Uh, so if those things start to come together soon, uh, hopefully we got some cool new cars coming. Now, speaking of plug-in hybrid electric vehicles, uh, one car company that still has a little bit of a soft spot in my heart is Mitsubishi. 
Uh, Mitsubishi has been selling a plug-in hybrid electric Outlander uh, in Asia and Europe for a long time. We just got it in the United States in 2019. Uh, and it's a vehicle that got pretty mm, positive eh, reviews eh, while it first came out. Uh, the Outlander is a vehicle that is pretty old. It's been adapted as best as Mitsubishi could to make it a more modern crossover vehicle. Uh, but the, all of the novel engineering with that plug-in hybrid, uh, well, it's the mechanical bits. It's like I said with the Chrysler Pacifica. Uh, you know, if you had an ability to choose which power option you're using, uh, it, it becomes a much more practical vehicle. And in the case of the Outlander, uh, that's exactly what it does. Uh, Mitsubishi is saying, however, that beyond the Outlander plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, they are going to be adding two more plug-in hybrid vehicles within the next year or so. Uh, the first firm and very likely guess is that we will be seeing a plug-in hybrid version of the Eclipse Cross uh, Compact, in air quotes, crossover. Uh, the Eclipse Cross has been around for, what, two-ish years now? Uh, overall, I'd say it's a pretty good-looking little crossover. Uh, it's kind of sad in the way that it never really got the attention that it needed to be a big sales success. Um, but in terms of something that's relatively affordable, has relatively modern accoutrement, uh, it gets the job done. But a plug-in hybrid version of that vehicle could be interesting. Uh, Mitsubishi is saying that a plug-in hybrid version of the Eclipse Cross could potentially go as far as 40 plus miles on a single charge uh, before switching to a primary hybrid operation. And that is not nothing. Uh, that's matching the numbers that the old Chevy Volt did. That's way beyond uh, what GM would claim is the average range that most Americans would drive per day. Uh, assuming that that battery is equally as, uh, I don't want to say small, but uh, not super big, um, you could probably charge it pretty quickly overnight as well. Uh, I really have a soft spot for the Outlander plug-in hybrid, and I'm excited to see that powertrain adapted to more vehicles in the Mitsubishi lineup. Now, the curious thing is that they say that there's one other vehicle, and if you take a look at Mitsubishi's current offerings here in the U.S., uh, well, there's not much going on. They're definitely not going to be making a plug-in hybrid version of the uh, Mitsubishi Eclipse, or excuse me, not the Eclipse, the uh, Mirage. Uh, and to do a new version of the Outlander Sport seems rather silly. So it leads a lot of people to think that we're going to be getting a new version of the Outlander overall. Uh, the Outlander itself is very old. It's over a decade old at this point. It just needs a major overhaul. It needs an updated platform. It needs an updated uh, infotainment, interior layout, all that stuff. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what ends up coming out of Mitsubishi in that regard in the not-too-distant future. But, uh, you know, I, I think doing a plug-in hybrid Eclipse Cross might be a good way to steal some sales from Toyota and Honda over the next year or two. Last up, I wanted to touch on some of the 2020 vehicles that are starting to pop up around me here in West Michigan because, uh, well, it's kind of technically sort of new car season. 
uh, we have started to see the first of the 2020 Kia and Hyundai vehicles uh, beginning to roll out. That, of course, being the Hyundai Venue and the uh, Hyundai Sonata, uh, the subcompact crossover, the uh, midsize family sedan. Uh, both are pretty impressive vehicles overall. I have to say, I really am impressed with the overall size of the venue. I thought it was going to be much smaller than what it was. Um, I'm curious to get one open, kind of press on some of the materials, see how chintzy it is in some places. Uh, but the key thing is, you know, just like the Nissan Kicks that it's going to be competing directly against, uh, you're going to be able to get a pretty much maxed out loaded uh, venue for about $23-ish thousand dollars, and that is still a steal in today's market. Uh, so keep an eye out for those as they begin to roll out on Hyundai dealership lots. And just the same, the new Sonata is here. Uh, the new Sonata is uh, on an all-new platform. It's got updated powertrains. Uh, it's got all-new technology in the interior. And even though I didn't get to uh, crack one open, I, I just happened to see that they were on the dealer lot. Uh, they did have several in the good color, which is, of course, yellow. And uh, I'm blown away by how good these cars look. Uh, the window stickers on each were saying about twenty-eight dollars to $30,000. So they're not... Uh, maxing them out when they roll onto dealership lots, which is great. Uh, they really seem like they're going to be a firm value in the market. And knowing Hyundai, they're probably going to start dropping uh, pretty healthy rebates on them uh, within the next couple of months. So there's a good chance you could get a pretty well-equipped SEL or SEL Plus model uh, for probably about $25-ish thousand dollars. Uh, that seems like an outright steal. Uh, other vehicles that are starting to pop up as well, the new Ford Escape is out. Uh, I have seen a few driving around in my neighborhood. Uh, I'm going to be willing to expect that uh, once the weather breaks, gets a little less snowy, a little less chilly, uh, they're going to start proliferating basically everywhere. Um, the new Escape is, you know, a little bit lower, a little bit wider than the outgoing car. Uh, it looks good. It looks much more car-like. Uh, it does also come in the good color, which is, of course, that uh, metallic-y green. Uh, it's just really a fantastic car. And actually, I'm seeing a lot of Ford dealers do it in the green color with the tan interior, which is the way God intended it to be. Uh, so thank you, whoever is doing those uh, product builds uh, for Ford right now, because you're doing a good job. Now, in terms of other new cars for 2020, we're still waiting to see the new Chevy Trailblazer begin to roll out. Uh, Pre-production vehicles, I guess, are popping up at the regional auto shows, uh, which probably means we're only a short couple of weeks away from starting to see those hit the streets. Uh, that's one I'm definitely curious to see in person. My hopes uh, and expectations are not very high, which of course means uh, I will probably have some kind of inflated uh, response once I actually do see it. But uh, they apparently might be out there in the not-too-distant future, which kind of sidetrack for a moment. I drove by the local Chevy dealer the other night. They had probably 40-some-odd Blazers sitting out front in the dealer. What? <laughs> Why? Who did this? Why would you order that many Blazers? Uh, what? Just outright madness when it comes to whoever is planning for that dealership. I cannot believe they bought that many. I cannot believe that they think they're going to sell that many. Uh, that is just freaking crazy. And I, I am just blown away by the fact that they thought that that was a good idea to do. 
Now we should also start seeing the Mazda CX-30 rolling out in the not-too-distant future. The CX-30, of course, is the new kind of tweener-sized crossover that slots between the Mazda CX-3 and the CX-5. Uh, it is based directly on the Mazda 3 chassis, with which it also shares an engine and a transmission and a four-wheel drive powertrain. Uh, excuse me, I guess that's an all-wheel drive powertrain, technically. Uh, I have high hopes for thinking that it's going to be a good-looking vehicle, both inside and out. Uh, but I haven't been super hot on Mazdas as of late. Uh, their push to go slightly upmarket has, to some extent, priced them out of competition in some ways. And I'm still not a huge fan of their infotainment system. But overall, I mean, they're good cars. I would never tell anyone not to buy a Mazda. It's just a slow realization more and more, at least for me personally, maybe not the way to go. Uh, as far as other new things that I'm beginning to see around here, things that are maybe a little bit less important, new pickup trucks, seen a lot more of the variants around here. Uh, the new Super Duty trucks are starting to float around from Ford. Uh, those are the ones with the big 7.3 liter V8 uh, that makes a rather absurd amount of horsepower. Uh, I would be really curious to take one of those out for a little drive uh, because that is one monster of an engine. Uh, they believe they call it the Godzilla V8. Um, I, I just really just want to take it around the block. That's really all I want to do. But uh, yeah, it's, it's cool to be seeing a lot of the new cars coming out. Uh, and as much as I am disappointed to say that the Detroit Auto Show is not in two weeks, uh, we are only a short bit away from the Chicago Auto Show, which will probably have a few more debuts than normal, uh, given that Detroit's not going on at this time of year. Uh, so I'm excited to see what happens. One final little bit here before we get ready to head out. Uh, car shopping for me. The Fiesta is gone. It's totaled out. Uh, it, it was sad to see it go. Um, but in the end, you know, life happens and you start looking for another motor car. Uh, I've got my eye set on, well, basically four basic vehicles. The Volvo V70 the Volvo XC70, uh, the Toyota Highlander Limited V6, all-wheel drive, the first-generation Highlander, as well as a surprise contender that kind of came onto my radar rather relatively recently, which might also be a terrible idea. Uh, that's the first-generation Toyota Tacoma. Now, why is the Toyota Tacoma a bad idea? Well, they have uh, frames that like to snap in half. Uh, they rust really bad. Uh, they're really hard to find in good condition these days. Um, but a small pickup truck is always a, uh, an interesting option as, uh, as we start to look towards later in 2020. So we're going to keep our eyes out. Uh, there was a week uh, about two or three weeks ago where like just like a plethora of XC uh, 70s like hit the market here in West Michigan all for between like seven to ten grand uh, it really seems to be uh, at least around this area you could get an early uh, I guess it's technically the third generation XC70 uh, which is going to be the one that uh, was based on what was that chassis it was similar chassis to the S80 uh, I think it actually technically was the same chassis as the Ford Taurus, I think. I, I might be getting a little confused. Nevertheless, it's when they dropped the main T5 turbo as the base engine, uh, and they started equipping the 3.2 liter inline six. Uh, these, I think, were like, what, 08 to relatively recently. They just discontinued them. Uh, but nevertheless, 
those early uh, XC70s you can get for like 70 to 80,000 miles on them for less than 10 grand. Uh, it seems like an outright steal. Again, Volvos scare me because, well, they're a completely alien brand of vehicle that uh, have completely alien powertrains and everything. Uh, so I've never owned a Swedish car. I, I know lots of people have Volvos. They love them. They say that they're the greatest thing ever. Uh, all the reviews online say that they're great, but then you look at what repair costs are, and whoo boy, is it ever a nightmare. So we will be cautious in that regard. Uh, but the Toyotas, you know, they're everywhere. Uh, the Highlander V6 Limiteds, those pop up and then they disappear. And it's still wild to me how much they try to charge for some of those things. Now, case in point, uh, I think it was a 2006. Had like 120,000 miles on it, somewhere around there, maybe a little bit more. They wanted almost eight grand for it. And when I go, it's a grand more for a car that's, you know, the better part of six years newer for a Volvo, I'm probably going to be more inclined to get the Volvo because it's got more of the things that I want. The flip side of that, of course, is the Toyota will probably need nothing in the lifetime that I would have it, uh, and that's always a good thing too. So we'll kind of see what happens. Step one in this process is, of course, getting a job. So uh, once that occurs, uh, maybe, just maybe, uh, we'll get a car very soon. Uh, but with all that in mind, guys, uh, I hope you had a fantastic new year. Uh, continue to be safe in these wintry conditions. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. See you then.